Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Se mete a Uva Mayana aquí. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, it is a goodly morning. It is a goodly morning. Another one. I can't believe it. I know. It's crazy. Like buses. <laughs> Three in a week. Three in a week. That's nearly, that's nearly half a week of goodly mornings. It's wow. nearly, you know, I mean, this is extraordinary. What's happening? I think Mikel Arteta's happening, isn't he? He's yeah. happening all over Arsenal. He's and I'm enjoying it. He's happening all over our faces. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> no, you're right. Mikel Arteta is happening. He is a happening in the sense that he's cool and trendy, but things are happening under Mikel Arteta. Again, that sounds more smutty than it should, but mm-hmm. uh, three wins in a week. Two clean sheets. I know yesterday had some defensive issues, which we'll talk about, no doubt. But three wins in a week, that it feels like a while since that's happened. It feels like a really long time. I mean, yeah. I, I've, has it happened this season? If I was good at this, I would know. I'd have the stats here. I don't. I'm going to go with it feels like it hasn't and just hope that's enough. Three wins in a week or three wins in a row? What are we? What, where's, where's the boundary here? Good question. We did We've have three wins it, in a week, yeah, yeah, yeah. In in September, when we beat Eintracht Frankfurt three 0 in the Europa League, then beat Aston Villa three two, and then beat Nottingham Forest five um, nil in the EFL I knew Cup. That. So I knew that. I knew that. But uh, yeah, look, it's it's feels like an age since we have built any kind of momentum, and it somehow feels like we have that now. It's uh, an unfamiliar and. I'm going to say almost disconcerting feeling, but one that I am enjoying nonetheless. Yes, I like it. I like it a, a hell of a lot, I have to say, because, you know, what, what came before uh, was more difficult to get behind. And look, here we are after this winter break and uh, three wins on the bounce. I think that's probably as, as well, I mean, of course, it's the, the perfect return in terms of results. Um, you know, when we were coming back from this, I'm sure Mikel Arteta would have looked at the games and said, if we can pull off three wins here, it will be a real step forward for my team. And lo and behold, here we are on a Monday morning, having beaten Everton 3-2 at the Emirates um, in what was, I think, a very uh, interesting, exciting, and I think a game, uh, exciting game, but one which 
taught us a lot about uh, some of the players and, and about the, the work that Arteta has been doing in terms of the way they're uh, capable of digging in and digging out results and, and what have you. Yeah, it was a really exciting game. I think if you could sort of, you know, put your Arsenal hat to one side slightly, which is impossible because our Arsenal hats are welded to our heads. Mm -hmm. It was a properly uh, sort of thrilling Premier League end-to-end game and one that we came out on top. I mean, yeah, I don't know if we got a little bit of luck, maybe, in that last period. Um, Yeah. Uh, and but being lucky as a manager is no bad thing, and we haven't had loads of luck. I think under Mikel Arteta, I think sometimes results haven't been as good as performances, yeah. and I think maybe we got the benefit of the doubt slightly yesterday. But I'm not complaining. No, you you earn your luck as well sometimes, don't you? In terms of you know how you how you play, how you put the effort in. Um, sometimes you get what you deserve. Sometimes you don't. Uh, quite mm. often this season and in the recent past, it felt like you know we haven't quite got the breaks going our way um, but look we, we won't talk too much about luck uh, just yet because there were moments I think late in the game particularly second half when when Everton threatened we'll come to that but you know having come back from Greece on Friday uh, you know a hard fought 1-0 win against Olympiakos uh, the team arrived back on, on Friday they would have done some uh, some preparation on Saturday for a game on Sunday mm. Um you know, I think Arteta spoke before the game. He said, look, we've we've played once in 15 days, whatever it might be. The reality is that we were facing a team who had two weeks off and who were fresh and rejuvenated. Their batteries were recharged. And the reality of our situation is that, without making excuses, it is something a team has to cope with. Um, you know, a European away game on a Thursday and then you're playing on a Sunday. It is a physical challenge. And I think that was probably evident in the, in the first in the first part of the game where I think Arteta would have banked on us starting relatively slowly or at least, you know, trying to um, take some time to get into the game. I, I don't think he would have planned for the, uh, <laughs> for the opening that we got. Just before we get into the goal, any... Issues or surprises with the team selection for you? Uh, not, not especially. I mean, I quite like you know this idea of giving Eddie and Ketia time in the Premier League. I think that maybe Mikel Arteta's looking at Alex Lacazette and thinking he's not necessarily looking like a guy you, you want to play two games a week or yeah. can physically go through that. Um, and I think you know it, it makes sense to give Nketiah game time, having brought him back. I would have raised an eyebrow about the absence of Martinelli from the squad entirely. I didn't mm. manage to glean why that was. Um, I know he's a young player and maybe it's just rotation, but uh, I was surprised he missed out entirely on the mm. whole thing. Um, other than that, I'm just trying to think. No, Kalasinac for Saka. I mean, you know, it seemed apt time to give Saka a rest. I mean, obviously it didn't pan out like that at all, as we'll, as we'll no doubt discuss. Um no, what did you think about the starting lineup? Uh, yeah, it was I was a little bit surprised to see um, Ceballos in there again. Maybe I shouldn't have been because I thought Torreira was fit, and maybe because Torreira hadn't played um, in midweek, he might mm. come in. But of course, you know, he was sick, so maybe he wasn't quite a hundred percent. And Ceballos didn't play in Greece, so so he was fit. I, I thought Inkedi was a little bit of a surprise, but obviously Arteta sees something in him which makes him confident enough to give him a start in a, in a Premier League game again that's two in a row for Enkedia. Um 
Beyond that, no, there were no real surprises in the starting lineup. Um, I suppose the most surprising thing about the opening part of the game was the way Kalasinac defended for that yeah. for that free kick. That was bizarre, wasn't it? It really was bizarre. And and I saw some people kind of leaping to his defence saying, well, he sort of pushed into the box, but he just doesn't need to go with that man. You know, mm. and the nature of the offside trap is that he should just, if he wants to run in behind and be offside, you've sort of got to let him. And there's a freeze frame of it where as the free kick is struck, there's a, a line of Arsenal defenders and then Kalasinac, you know, about eight yards deeper. It's really, <laughs> really, really weird isn't it, it it is yeah you know it's one of the basics you know when you're defending a, a free kick the defensive line there's a reason why all the arsenal players were in a line because yeah. that's the way you do it that's the way you, you organize yourself from a from a set piece um maybe it didn't contribute massively to the goal but it just sort of uh, fed into that slightly chaotic start to the game that we had um uh, the header wasn't won and Calvert-Lewin finished very well. A lot of people talking about high foot, but I'm not sure about that. To be, I mean, it was a high foot, but I think yeah, the attacker I mean, tends to get the benefit of the doubt in a situation like that. Yeah, it's one of those where, you know, I'm not sure of the how the law is supposed to be applied entirely, but I'm not someone who wants to see every bicycle kick or overhead kick disallowed, you know, because those mm. are great moments and great goals. And the fact that Luis nearly gets his head kicked off uh, isn't ideal. And I think you do sometimes <laughs> see those ruled out. But, um, yeah, I, I I don't have too many complaints personally. I think Luis probably could have done a bit better with the first header. Um, but, you know, I think he was still trying to recover slightly from his surprise at Kalasinac's positioning. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of finger-pointing yeah. going on after the goal, wasn't there? It was. The, the, you know, Mustafi and uh, Louise were certainly having words with each other. Um, look, I think Everton started brightly. Iwobi had a chance that he put over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought it was a bit worrying how open we were, we were down the left-hand side um, in, in the yeah. early stages. And I think... Um, I don't want to go to town on the guy or anything, but I think that's often the case when you play Kalasinac, that there are spaces where your left-back should be that he isn't. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that's partly it. I also think in the early period of the game that Granit Xhaka, who has done a really fantastic job generally sort of covering that left-back slot, there were a couple of occasions where he had pushed on a little bit higher. You know, I think that Awobi chance was mm. one, actually, where he wasn't uh, he wasn't in situ as you would expect him to be in that little hole behind the fullback. So, yeah, I, I think it wasn't great and it was concerning how, how readily they broke on us. And to be mm. fair to Everton, that was kind of true for long periods of the game. I thought on both flanks they had some joy. You know, Richarlison on the other side caused, caused problems too, especially yeah. in the second half. So... You know, they did spring the trap uh, pretty effectively and it made us look vulnerable. So Saka came on then for Kalasinac, who got injured yeah. um, in that in that collision with Sidibe. Uh, I thought it was just a, you know, a shoulder to the head and maybe he was a bit concussed, but obviously there's a shoulder injury there and we'll have to wait and see how long he's going to be out for. Mikel Arteta said afterwards it didn't look good. So, um, mm. we, you know, that's a, an injury. Uh, Kieran Tierney, not far away, but still a little bit away from, from um, first-team football. So uh, He gets a lot of injuries, doesn't he, Kalasinac? For a big guy. Uh, yeah, he's 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 quite. I don't want to say brittle, but maybe just unlucky um, with injuries. He yeah. does seem to 
um, to pick up his fair share. All right, so look, uh, that that's a problem for us and it's a problem for him and fingers crossed he's not out too long because I think, you know, with the amount of games that we potentially could have between now and the end of the season, the more depth we have throughout the squad, the better. So you don't want to see anybody get injured. I thought it was quite interesting, though, the cheers for Saka when he came on, mm-hmm. that, that his presence in the team... I think gave us a bit of a lift and obviously the crowd are right behind a a young guy like him who's who's doing amazing things and he was, uh, again, full of end product um, for for the equaliser. Or Shaka played him in down the left and it's a great cross, isn't it? It really is an excellent cross for Nketiah. Um, This is 10th assist. I know. It's great. It's, it's amazing. fantastic numbers, really. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a great cross. It's a great pass from Shaka too. You know, both our goals in this first half, I thought, kind of showed how well that, that left-hand side can work when it gets going. And uh, the cross is brilliant, but I think it's a really good finish too. It's one of those where, you know, you can't deny what an excellent ball it is, but I'm not sure any striker would have finished it quite as confidently as Nketiah does. Yeah, I think um, the focus will, it will be on Saka for for the assist, and it's like another another notch on his footballing bedpost, if you like. But I think the 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 movement and the run and the finish from Enkedi is worth a mention as well because he got between the two central defenders. They had no idea where he was. Um, so you know, credit to him. Uh, you know, after the the game against Newcastle, in which I suppose he was a surprise inclusion in the starting lineup, given yep. that it was his first uh, Premier League start, and he did miss a good chance. You know, he 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 clipped one off the top of the bar. Uh, you know, I think he justified his selection there. I think that will be a big moment for him, a big moment for for Mikel Arteta as well, because when you leave an experienced player like Lacazette on the bench, uh, you know you're 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 open to some criticism if the <clears throat> excuse me if the young player that you put in doesn't doesn't contribute but that was a that was a big goal for for us and a big goal for Enkedia yeah, and it's fine to be emotional about that, Andrew. If you want yeah. to have a cry about it, that's okay. It was a lovely moment. And I, um, I, yeah, look, I thought it was a real show of faith, actually, from Arteta to stick with Nketiah because he was fine against Newcastle, but he missed a pretty guilt-edged opportunity and it wasn't a game that massively suited him in terms of, sort of playing a team in low block, very compact. This game was more open. He was more involved. I thought he generally was better. I also think, you know... Aside from the goal, he has hit the bar twice. He was really unfortunate with that one in the second half that he sort of yeah, curled off yeah, the, yeah. the inside of the post of the bar. And, you know, but for a couple of inches, we could be talking about a guy with three goals in the Premier League in two games, you know, and I think suddenly you're looking at a guy and going, wow, this incredible, extraordinary impact. So it's really fine margins at this level. And I know what I know that's what top competitive sport is about, but yeah. I, th- I think he is making an impact and... Crucially, just with that goal, with that confidence, if there is a game, be it in the Europa League, be it in the Premier League, where we're chasing it and we throw him on, I do think that will do him the world of good, just having that that confidence to say, well, I, I know I can do this at this level. Yeah, I mean, does that, I mean, I was going to ask you, does that give you a bit more confidence in him, the fact that, okay, look, he fluffed his lines against Newcastle and I think he was he was quite unlucky with the one yesterday because he had to get it over Pickford, yeah. who was quite close to him, so he had to loft it. Effort. Yeah, it was a really good effort. Um, you know, does that give you a bit more confidence in him and a bit more confidence in the, the decision to select him? Because I think, you know, his all-round game 
probably isn't quite um, quite there yet because he is still very young and very inexperienced. And when you're playing as the the striker and your job is to hold it up and to link play and, and everything else, I think there are uh, things that he will uh, learn and develop with, you know, with more game time. But when it comes to his positioning, his movement in the box, you know, I, I think from scant service, he's had some good opportunities. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, his movement is excellent. I think the emergence of Gabriel Martinelli has kind of impacted upon people's perception of Nketiah a bit. Because Martinelli was with us all season and scored so many goals and made such a extraordinary impact, really, I think people have sort of decided, well, you know, maybe Nketiah's not quite at that level. But I think, I think Arteta definitely sees a lot in him you know he wouldn't have brought him mm. back from Leeds he wouldn't have kept him in the squad he wouldn't be selecting him yeah. in these Premier League games if he didn't see something there and he th- that he thought was worth persisting with and work, work, worth working with so I think we have to be encouraged by that and you know it's not a free hit the Premier League there's a lot to play for but rotation makes sense given that we have to sort of hedge our bets across several competitions at this point I think there's going to be more opportunities for him in the remaining months of the season I think we look at rotation as something that is designed to give players a rest the other side Mm. of rotation is that it allows you to give players a chance and it it helps create this competitive environment that if you know someone like Nketiah comes in ahead of Lacazette and doesn't produce then you know People might say, "Okay, well, that's par for the course for a 20-year-old, but he's come in, he's scored some goals. Does it put a rocket under Lacazette's arse for the next time that he plays? Does it give Nketiah more confidence the next time he plays? I think it does. And I think the the greater depth you have in your squad, the better. So there is obviously a need to to deal with fatigue and heavy legs and to keep players as fresh as possible for difficult games. But also there's the element of of competition. One man who never gets rotated, though, is is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. and, um, you know, the, the the quality of his finishing and the quality of him as a player, I don't think is in question. You might ask if we if we give him the kind of service week in, week out that's commensurate with his, his finishing quality. I'm not sure that we do. But yesterday, you know, it's, it's one of those goals that looks so simple, isn't it? David Luiz took the ball out of defence. Uh, Everton backed off him. There was not enough, um, you know, if I was looking at that from an Arsenal point of view, you'd be asking why Why is nobody closing down the central defender? Why sure. is nobody blocking off that passing lane? But in, in the absence of that from an Everton point of view, it was a very good pass from Luiz. And the finish, um, you know, even though he had Inkeri outside him, there was no question in my mind that he was, he was going to go for goal himself. Yeah, it's one of those where Everton have let the centre-half have it and walk it up to the halfway line, but it's not just any centre-half. It's one of the better passing centre-halves mm. in the league, and it's a really good ball, again, from Louise. Aubameyang, though, his his run is so intelligent. The way he kind of ducks inside, then goes in behind to make yeah, sure he yeah, stays yeah. onside. The composure in the finish, I mean, you know, it... it it's an easy comparison, isn't it? But it was very, very much a Thierry Henry goal in that inside left channel, opened his body out, right foot into the far corner. It was very, very, very easy on the eye. And in that period, I thought we were really good, actually. Like, you know, having recovered from a shaky start, yeah. Um, some of the stuff we were playing in that period where we took the lead was really, really excellent. And this was probably the cherry on the cake. Yeah, I think Arteta said that, didn't he? For about 60, 65 minutes, they played how I wanted, you know? So a dodgy start, you react to the dodgy start and then um, and you go ahead. The equaliser, um, 
I don't want to point fingers uh, at anyone in particular. I do think Leno, though, probably could have been a bit stronger for that one. Yeah, I mean, I almost wonder, I don't know what you think, but I, I haven't seen it back enough times, but when I first saw it, my instinct was, could he have come earlier, almost for the first... Ball. He sort of, he sort of, he, he he makes a forward motion as if he's going to come, I think, and then doesn't. He stays on his line, and then when it drops between him and Richardson, I think he he does have to do better. I mean, it it seems churlish, doesn't it, to criticise him given the nature of his overall performance? But I think, yeah, he will look back upon that as an error generally. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm just watching it again here. Um... It's a long way to come, but I think some keepers would. I don't think he's that keeper, though. That's the no, thing. it's some... Oh, yeah, you mean, like, come and uh, and punch it when Mustafi yeah. misses the header? Yeah. I'm just watching... Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I Even then, I think when the, when the, when the, the header is, goes backwards, I think... Oh, he's spreading himself to try and block it, in fairness. Look, I do think it's, it's one of those that he, he will look back on and think, yeah... He does come forward, but not quite with the right amount of aggression. I suppose there's I guess, a, a question like, does he want to get Richarlison's studs in his chest? I think he probably should. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's it's one of those where you're sort of saying, what am I asking of a player here? Mm. You know, I, but but really, you do want to see your goalkeeper be brave in that scenario, and you know, it probably means you get clattered, but equally, you get a free kick. It relieves the pressure on your team. Yeah, you know, it's one of those, but. He, he also Richardson gets a nick really late on it and mm. it takes it away from him. You know, he is gonna make a save otherwise before that diversion. So Yeah. It's 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 cruel. It looks ugly, a bit like the first goal. It looks pretty ugly and it's not the sharpest defender. Yeah, well let's let's just talk about uh, a slight side issue with that. Uh, and one of the things that uh, Mikel Arteta has spoken about is the reactions of his players. Like, mm. he, he said, I can accept a player making a mistake. It's how they react to that. You know, do they hide, basically? Um, he, he used Mustafi as an example for the Chelsea game when Mustafi made that mistake, and then he praised his reaction and his performance after that in terms of, you know, his commitment, his desire to win headers. I think we saw yesterday Leno, um, maybe he didn't view it quite as the mistake that we might have as fans. I think he said afterwards on TV, I was a bit unlucky and Richarlison was very lucky. Um, yeah. So maybe he doesn't quite view it in the same way. But in terms of the reaction that we got from him in the second half, he was outstanding. He was absolutely outstanding to that, um, you know, to prevent Everton. He made some big, big saves. He swept up. He was a bit more dominant. He was he was uh, more aggressive in the air. And I think the same also applies to Danny Ceballos. Now, I'm not sure what you thought about this, but my perception of the opening 10, 15 minutes was Ceballos gave away the free kick, which led to the goal. And I think that had a, a negative effect on him in that mm. his passing wasn't quite right. I think he was trying a little too hard to make up for what he perceived to be that mistake for giving away that free kick. Uh, you know, you can't put the defending on the goal down to him, but maybe he could have tackled better, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm -hmm. But I thought he, as the game went on, really, really grew into it. Um, you know, so he had a shaky 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes uh, after their goal went in. But after that, I think he played with uh, a huge 
huge amount of confidence. He sort of overcame that whatever skittishness that got into him after after the the opening goal and reacted really well. And I think that's a very positive sign that players um, who either make mistakes or, or feel like they've somehow let the team down in a way are, are playing with their heads up. They're not letting their heads go down. And, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that's to do with what Arteta is demanding of them, but it's good to see it on the pitch when it happens. Yeah. My overriding memory of Ceballos in this game will be that period where he... I forget when it was, but was it first or second half when he made like a sort of crunching tackle and the crowd reacted like it was a goal, basically. Mm. And there was a little sort of few minute period around them where he put in several challenges, actually, that I was kind of like, here we go. You know, mm. now he's he's getting into this game. I think you're right. It was a relatively slow burn for him in the early stages. But yeah, players are responding. Leno could not have responded better to what happened. And whether he not he thinks it was a mistake or not, the way he conducts himself the rest of the game was was brilliant. And p- players' reactions are important to Arteta. I'll be interested to see, you know, I'd be interested to know what he made of the reaction to the first goal. People turning around, blaming each other. I'm not sure he would have liked that necessarily. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those. Well, look, I think communication is the thing. You know, it's not like players are pushing and shoving. I think when you concede a goal like that, you have to talk on the pitch and talk as a team as to, like, what the fuck went wrong there? Who was sure. doing that? I do think there's an element of, like, um, uh, balance between, like, okay, what's happened here? How can we make that better? And somebody saying, that's your fault. You should have done yeah. <laughs> this, that, or the other. There was a yeah, there was a moment of that, I think, in the late in the second half. Remember the Calvert-Lewin header that went just wide? Yeah. And I think he beat Mustafi to the header and Mustafi turned around and was like giving out to somebody. I don't know who exactly. But, you know, it's normal, I think, when something goes wrong on the pitch to discuss it and to talk about it rather than just sort of forlornly make your way back to to the centre circle. So con- yeah, you're right. conceding just before halftime is always a pain. But if there's a w- wicked way to offset that, it's scoring immediately uh, in the second half or scoring very early in the second half. I think it was 25, 26 seconds. Um, Ozil playing Pepe down the right. Pepe's cross. Aubameyang's header. Um, did you have the stat on your video I think I watched it earlier. Is that where I got it? That it's only like his third header? And they've all been since uh, Arteta took over. Wow. Yeah, I think one was against Chelsea uh, in December. Oh, yeah, yeah, And then yeah, yeah. two in the last two Premier League games. Wow. Interesting. That He's is, suddenly scoring headers. That's, yeah. Well, I, I don't know quite how that happens. I mean, is it just a bit of coincidence a bit of luck or whatever it might be just the way the chances are falling to him but it's a bit, a bit I mean, odd isn't well, it that a player never scores a header for you and then he scores three as soon as a new man takes over well I think a lot of it has to do with Pepe if I'm honest mm. uh, and his delivery from the right hand side he created the goal against Newcastle and this goal uh, in this game and you know because he's always going to sort of check back onto that left foot I think it, it creates a good angle for a cross uh, to that to that opposite flank and yeah. Bamiang's there and scoring goals I mean he scored goals for this head at Dortmund you know I think he scored 25 odd headers in his time at Dortmund so it's you know it wasn't unheard of for him to score a headed goal it's not quite a sort of Thierry Henry scenario I know he got the old couple as well but mm. yeah it is interesting that they've he suddenly started scoring with his head mm. 
very welcome. I mean, he'll score goals any way they come, I guess. Yeah. Um, we had some real momentum there and I was looking at the game thinking, you know, now would be a great time to make the most of the uh, the pressure that we have. Yeah. Um, it didn't quite pan out and then there was a change. There was a sort of moment in the game where Everton threatened and Louise and Calvert-Lewin were down and the play was stopped and uh, I think they brought mm. on a couple of subs and that really changed... If not the momentum, it kind of took the wind out of our sails a little bit where you're looking at a, a team hoping they could score the the next goal and then looking at a team and hoping they wouldn't concede it. Um, did you notice that change? or I, I did, yeah. I also think in the last half hour, Everton got Gomez back and they got him on the pitch and I think he was actually probably the best player on the field in that last half hour like he he suddenly they were progressing through the midfield better than they had been um and and I think they smelled a bit of blood I think Arsenal looked like a team who's played three games in a week against mm. a team who hasn't played for a fortnight and there was a bit of legginess there you know Arteta looked to freshen it up he brought on Torreira and you know tried to give a bit of stability in the midfield but I think Everton will reflect on that last period of the game and think we really should have should have taken one of those chances, you know. Yeah, there were moments, weren't weren't there, where we were probably a bit slack, a bit ragged. I think that had to do with, you know, how leggy we were and the the fatigue. Uh, you know, Saka at left back. If we're going to give him all the praise that he deserves yeah. from an attacking point of view, I think we saw yesterday, maybe for the first time, um, that. A little reminder, anyway, that he's still 18. He's um, he's doing a, a massive job for us, but inexperience and um, tiredness and lack of concentration and focus mm. can can be costly. You know, he didn't do anything deliberately, but you know, some of the decisions that he took that he would normally get right weren't quite right, and Everton made some uh, some progress out of that. Were you maybe a bit surprised not to see Torreira earlier than we did? I'm uh, just having a look. What minute did he come on? It was 76. I mean, Arteta doesn't really seem to make changes before about 70 minutes, does he? There's a touch of the Arsene Wenger to mm. him in that regard. Uh, I was a little bit surprised because, like you, you could kind of see which way the wind was blowing. I liked the change of Ganduzi for Ozil, though. I, I thought that was interesting, the way that Ganduzi played in a slightly higher role, you know, pressing and, and working from the mm. front. I thought that was... In, intriguing, you know, to it was, see him it deployed was, that it way. Was, yeah, it was interesting. It was certainly interesting um, because I, I thought that maybe when he put Ganduzi on, it was to sort of create a midfield three Same, and, yeah. you know, to add a bit of energy in there. And certainly if there's one thing he's got, he's got the ability to run around and, and to, to har uh, harry and hassle the opposition. I didn't really expect him to be pressing the goalkeeper. Um, or being no. the furthest man forward and and a couple of times quite easily bypassed. You know, when you think, okay, maybe we could just be a bit more solid, a bit more compact. Um, mm. The Enkedia chance came from that kind of high press, though, as well. Yeah. He put Pickford under pressure and he played a poor pass and, and that's where that chance came from. So maybe that was part of the plan, but it was a little bit of a surprising one. It was, it was. But, you know, I, I, I thought that that press meant that we didn't become too deep and, and under too much uh, pressure necessarily but it was yeah look it, Everton are a decent team under Ancelotti yeah, and yeah. They're, play, they're doing simple things really well they're playing 4 4 2 they've got two strikers up front who work incredibly hard both physically quite dominant you know run the channels and I 
I, you know, we were stretched. We were yeah. stretched. I mean, how many shots did they? They had 17 attempts to our nine over the yeah. course of the game. So, you know, the XG, I think, had them on top. But I think th- thanks in large part to, well, Aubameyang's expert finishing, but also Bernd Leno, we came through. And I think it will have really pleased Arteta that we were able to dig in and mm. see that out. Uh, yeah. Even when we weren't necessarily at our best, I think you're right to highlight Saka. You know he has been outstanding, but he looked a bit short yesterday. And Arteta did intimate there was a little bit of a problem with him pre-game, so maybe yeah. there was a slight fitness issue there too. But he, yeah, I mean, he was one of the players who sort of you know wasn't operating at his optimum level. Yeah, well, look back to Burn Leno because I'm just looking at the live blog here from yesterday and from yeah. like the 72nd minute. Um, there's that big, big save that he made from Calvert Lewin, where I think Shaka was playing him on side um, out on the uh, on the left hand side. Um, Point blank. I mean, again, it was just one of those that he made himself as big as possible. Um, there was uh, another good save, I think, from Richarlison. There was a, a chance for Calvert-Lewin when Richarlison um, played a low cross. I don't think he got quite enough contact on it. There was uh, the moment where Everton, I think, almost opened us up. They played a I can't remember who played the pass, but it was a beautiful pass and it just sort of evaded Bellerin. But Leno was there to come out and to to sweep up, you know, for a goalkeeper that might be accused sometimes of staying on his line a bit. He was yeah. well off it there. Um, let me see. There was that other one, the, the Calvert-Lewin header. That was a weird passage of play because they got a corner I don't know if you watched this again but like they took it quickly and some of the Arsenal players aren't even aware that the corner has been taken they've got their back to to play you know so just I think tiredness and and focus and concentration are things that are hard to maintain you know and you're in the 93rd minute it's your third game in 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 seven eight days you know it is hard to do that but it can prove so so costly even just switching off for two or three seconds can be the difference yeah, he's he's still making saves for us. I mean, we sort of it became one of the damning stats of Emery that Leno had made more saves than other Premier League goalkeeper. But at this stage, he's still second, you know, in that table, and he has kept us in games. I mean, in the first part of the season, he was absolutely outstanding, and he had to be on so many occasions. I think uh, he's been brilliant this year and I love that moment where he came off his line I think I think he he's alright coming off his line when the ball's on the ground he's happy enough sweeping mm. it's just when the ball's in the air he's a little bit more reticent but I think that's a small price to pay really given the, the nature of the Premier League the way it's changed I think the demands on you as a goalkeeper are different now and he is very much that sort of modern idea of a keeper and mm. yeah a, a massive a massive, massive performance for him and in a big week for him as well because obviously Arteta picked him in Europe too, which was, I think, shows how important he considers him to be. I just sort of have one little doubt in the back of my mind about Leno. What's that? It's just that maybe he's the kind of goalkeeper who's brilliant when you're a team that's under a lot of pressure, but when you're a team that's looking to dominate, perhaps. And it's just a a nagging doubt in my own mind, and I hope I'm proved wrong by this, and I I agree with you. I think he's been absolutely brilliant this season. I just have a suspicion that maybe if you're the kind of team that's dominating games, he might have an issue there I don't 
you know, I can't put my mm. finger on it. And that's, you know, it's just something that's in my own head. So we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see with him. But look, credit to him yesterday. He was absolutely brilliant in the second half and, you know, played a massive part in us in, in us taking those three points. Yeah. I, I, it'll be interesting to see that. I mean, what, you know, if and when we are a dominant team consistently, <laughs> if that ever happens. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's Until true. then, we'll stick with him, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so... Um, what Up to else? ninth. Up to ninth and only four points off fifth, which could, of course, be the uh, the, the marker for, for Champions League this season. Yeah, it could be. I mean, my optimism about that sort of fades every time I speak to any lawyer about it who says, nah, no chance, they'll, they'll, they'll weasel out of it this season. But uh, look, I mean, it's great. It's great to have a bit of upward trajectory at last. Um, I think that kind of all we can do is win our games, isn't it? That's all we can do. Accumulate points and hope other things pan out in our favour. Yeah, I mean, where, where, where would you stand in on this one in the whole, well, look, you know, we did win games under Emery and not play particularly well. And people said, well, that's, you know, that's a problem. We're not playing well. The metrics, the stats don't really add up to, to progression here. But I think what we've seen in the last week is a team which had developed and had made progress under Arteta but wasn't able to take the next step and that was to go and win games. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I can look at what we did yesterday and I think we can all look at what we did yesterday and say, well, that could be better. And, you know, the, the, the goals that we conceded were really poor, that there's still something ingrained within the, the fabric or the DNA of this this team or this club even that we are capable of conceding the most ridiculous goals in ways that you can't possibly imagine, right? It's yeah. still there. I think that's something that's going to take some time to, uh, to go away if we ever truly get on top of that. But I, I, I can't help but look at this as a really significant week for the players, for Mikel Arteta because we've won three times in a week. Um, We've made progress in terms of results and that's what we've needed to do. I think it will be the kind of week in which he's learned a lot about uh, his players. I think the, the, the reaction at the final whistle, I don't know if you saw the TV coverage or, or have seen it since, but Arteta, um, when the final whistle goes, puts his, arms in the air. Danny Ceballos comes off the bench and he's got his arms in the air and he's delighted with with how things have gone. There's mm. a big embrace between Arteta and his staff, um, his coaching staff. Then he's sort of high-fiving with the players. There's a big hug with Mesut Ozil. He, he has hugs with Lacazette and Reese Nelson, neither of whom played. Gabriel Martinelli comes off the, the, the bench behind the bench, you know, where the players who don't play sit, yeah, and he's yeah, there, yeah. and Pablo, Pablo Marie is there. The players on the pitch are high-fiving. You know, I think there's, there's something building within, uh, within the club, within the squad. He's tried to forge this um, concept of togetherness and uh, the, the interview that he did on Match of the Day 2 where he's talking about how he's, you know, the minimum standards that we have to set at this football club. If we don't have those as a baseline, we've got no chance, is what he said. Mm. We've got no chance. So it's about getting the buy-in from everybody around him and it looks to me that he's got it. And that's a hugely positive thing because it's evident not only in what he says, but in what he does, but also in what the players are saying and what the players are doing on the pitch. And the results are there to back that up. 
Absolutely. And you need results to sell that idea and sell that vision to the players. And I think, you know, the club went away for two weeks and they were in Dubai for five days or whatever it was. And they would have been looking at this seven days as a kind of mini project of its own. You know, they would have been looking at those three fixtures in a Mm. week as soon as they get back, Newcastle, Olympiacos and Everton, and saying, let's try and take, you know, maximum not points, but results from those. And they've done it. And I think that those celebrations at full time were kind of indicative of that degree of satisfaction in we've got this job over the line. And obviously it continues. We've got another second leg against Olympiacos in a few days' time. But I think to come back from the break and do that and to keep clean sheet, uh, sorry, clean sheets in a couple of those games yeah. as well will have encouraged them uh, to score more goals, you know, this was three goals in this game, four against Newcastle. We hadn't been doing that regularly. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are, you know, before the break, we we're all saying we're not scoring enough goals. We've got to change the attack. What are we going to do? Suddenly we've come back seven goals in two Premier League games. So I think Arteta will be really deeply satisfied. And yes, you're right to highlight that this wasn't a performance against Everton where we, you know, we necessarily deserve to take the three points. Um, I think there is debate about that. But I think you have to look at it in context and you have to look at it at the end of uh, a slightly gruelling period and a week where they, they didn't travel, they didn't even get back to London until Friday evening. You yeah. know, I think that was a bold choice from Arteta and it, he got the results, so he'll feel he was rewarded. There. Yeah, that was you know a very interesting idea and one which paid dividends. I mean, we don't know quite what the the ben- the benefits you know are if this is going to work on a on a long term basis or how often we might have to do this depending on who we're playing mm-hmm. in Europe. But I think you know there was a, there was a lot of thought behind it because it's like, well, what what can the players eat after after the game? Yeah. Can they eat properly if they're on a four-hour flight back to London? No. I mean, they can have, you know, decent food because, you know, that's that's within the capabilities of a, a, a big football club to do that. But, you know, is it better to just sit down, have a meal, have a proper night's sleep and get up and go again the next morning? I mean, uh, yeah. it sounds so logical. I'm amazed we haven't done it before. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And when I, it's kind of anathema in football I mean, I mentioned it to Lee Dixon the other day and he was like, well, they're flying back the next day. Like, you know, people aren't used to that. But when you think about it, it makes so much sense. I mean, the sleep thing presumably is massive. Sleep's a big thing in sport at the moment. And the fact that, you know, they stay over, they get a proper full night's sleep rather than flying back and arriving at like three in the morning at an airport... I mean, it, yeah. And, yeah, and then having to go home, and then you're in bed yeah. at whatever five, six in the morning, and you're having a yeah, you know, it, it seems infinitely more yeah. sensible, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. Um, and look, it, it's one of those things that had we not got the result against Everton, maybe people might have turned, you know, scoffed maybe, at it. Maybe, yeah, maybe it doesn't make much difference, but maybe it did. Maybe it did. And and we again, we have to remember that Everton came into this game on the back of two weeks off. You know. Hmm. Um, you can talk about rhythm and you can talk about momentum and all of those things, which, of course, are important. But when it comes right down to it, if you're playing your third game in a week and you're playing a team that hasn't played in two weeks, there's just going to be an element of, of um, physical power with the other team that, that you can't match. So, mm. you know, I think in the context of, of the week that we've had and, and everything else, um, yesterday was a, was a massive win. 
a massive win. And yeah, sure, we got a, a little bit lucky along the way, but you know that that can happen. That can happen. Um, it can go against you. It can go for you. Thankfully, it went for us yesterday. A big three points, and I think it's one uh, from which Arteta, the players, and everyone can take a, a lot of positives, and it, it helps you know, build this confidence that seems to be uh, exuding. Because I had this feeling, James, in my mind about this game um, because of that context, because of the travel, the European thing uh, and Everton's freshness. You know, at some point, we're going to have a little bit of a setback. That's inevitable, isn't it? It's going to be, we're going to have a game where it just doesn't work for us or things don't go our way or, or, you know, we just can't, we can't dig out a win like we did yesterday. And I, you know, I'm sort of prepared for that because I think it's normal and it's a, it's going to happen and we're going to have to deal with it. I just sort of had it in the back of my mind that yesterday might be that day. And I'm so right. delighted that it wasn't. So no. Yeah. And it, and it, it could have been as well. And also I think that, um, our perception of Everton is like, well, Everton at home, that's a game we should win, but on mm. form, they are one of the stronger teams right now. And I think, you know, I mean, I think we only leapfrogged them, did we? Or they're, sort of, they're kind of on similar points to us this season. So mm. I, th- I think getting that win against them um, is a big thing too. It's a big thing too. Sure. And, I, and I, yeah. And look, Spurs lost this weekend. Uh, All so good. The dream yeah. is alive. <laughs> more VAR nonsense in that but we won't uh, tie ourselves down with a discussion on VAR uh, no. we will though take a break right here and come back in part two with your questions and more right after this Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog and on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon, which you can be if you want to be. It's real simple. Go to patreon.com forward slash ArsBlog. You can sign up and it costs uh, just a fiver a month. Um, James, you want to say something about your uh, your shows that you did last week in the Soho Theatre? All went well? 
all went well. I just wanted to say a big thank you, really, because so many people came to the show and came up to me afterwards or sent me messages afterwards saying that they came along because, you know, they listen to the podcast or they read Ask Blog and they know me through that. And there were people there who'd come over for the game this weekend from Iceland, from America, cool. who'd also found time. Yeah, very cool to come and see the show. And it was, and I don't mention Arsenal in the show or to considerable disappointment, Magpies. So oh. I, uh, and they still enjoyed it, which is remarkable, really. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was just very, very grateful for the support and uh, just want to let everybody who came know that I massively, massively appreciate it. Bravo and well done to you. And uh, of course, you do have the uh, concept for your next show. The magpie about the a magpie about a world champion magpie. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Nicholas presents the magpie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that would be great. Just me dressed as a magpie, yeah. uh, walking around, being a magpie. I mean, there's a market. What I've learned is is a piece of market research. I've learned people mm. want that. They do. So there's a there's an, it's incumbent on me to produce it. By the way, can I do a quick um, plug? Is that all right? Yeah. Of course. So, uh, because the show sold out, they've added two more dates, basically. February 29th, next weekend, and March the 10th. So, if you do want to come along, there are tickets left for those. But thank you, everyone who's been so far. It's very, very kind of you. Super, super. Can I do the uh, voiceover for your Magpie Show trailer? Like, in a world of blue tits, there could be only one Magpie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, we're joking about this. Don't put it past me that I will do this. (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. Well, count me in. I'll do whatever voiceover work you need for that. Um, Can I just ask people a favour as well? Um, We don't ask very often, but if you would like to give the show a rating or a review on iTunes, on Podbean, whatever the... uh, podcast review things are please feel free to do that um your reviews are are great they give us a a bit of a boost in the in the charts which helps the show reach more people um if you don't want to do it it's fine but if you do want to do it that would be great and we thank you very much indeed for that james can i start with the questions would you mind no yeah of course i've got a i've got a couple here um let me see what way uh they opened up but, okay, uh, let's start with this one from, oh, where is it? It's from Clive uh, at Clive PAFC. He says, good morning. Good morning, Clive. Good morning, Clive. He says, let's talk about what's happening at right back. Also, Sam, who's at SK underscore Arsenal, says, are either of you starting to become slightly worried regarding Hector? I completely appreciate he's on his road to to recovery, but it's been a few games now and he looks a shadow of himself, though maybe I'm being a bit harsh. And Curtis Murray, who's at Tortoise Murray, says, is it time to start asking the Bellerin question? Looks sluggish against Newcastle's pace and was completely missing at right back for most of yesterday. Clearly not fit enough yet to be starting every week, but Ainsley Maitland-Niles is nowhere to be seen. Mm, so an interesting, yes. interesting discussion to be had here, I think. There is, there is. What did you, what did you make of Bellerin's performance yesterday? I thought it was notable how often he was inside or cut inside when we had possession. Yeah. Um, and again, much like the Ganduzi thing, I can only assume that that is the instruction from Mikel Arteta. Oh yeah, I would think so. You yeah. know, he's he's he's. Yeah, it was noticeable. Now, I know we saw it with Maitland-Niles before, didn't we? This tooking in to become like a third midfielder, mm-hmm. an auxiliary midfielder. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily something new, but I just thought it was quite 
stark seeing Bellerin in positions on the pitch yesterday where you don't normally see him. So, I, you know, I don't. I think he had some troubles with Richarlison, but I think that's true of lots of players. Um, I, it, he didn't stand out to me yesterday as someone who was really struggling. I do think he's um, a little way from his best, but I thought his performance against Newcastle was encouraging. Um, and I also yeah. think, and I know you probably can talk a bit more about this in terms of the uh, cruciate thing because you wrote a big piece uh, about it last week, so I'm yeah. sure that will come up in the discussion. Uh, I think we have to maybe look at the productiveness of Pepe in the last few games and the presence of Bellerin. I think the two combine well. So Interesting. I, I think there's something stirring there, and I'll accept that Bellerin is not at the level where uh, he was, and I think he's still some way from full fitness and full power, but I'm... I, I feel really confident about what Mikel Arteta can do with Hector Bellerin. Mm, I do. I do too. Actually, I think it's really interesting, isn't it, to say, to look at this team and you look at it, and even yesterday in our goals, you go, "Well, there's a big left-sided bias for the most part, especially in the first half." You know, two goals down mm. the left channel, and so much of our attack has been down that side recently. But you look at who's playing there generally, and it's a teenage winger at left back and a striker at left wing who doesn't really want to be there, and at the right-hand side, you've got Bellerin and Pepe, both playing in the roles you would expect them to want to play, who are both, you know, brilliant players. Um, and yet that's not our strong side, necessarily. I just think that's kind of curious. But I think I've seen Bellerin sort of criticised a bit for not overlapping Pepe and getting beyond him enough. And I, I 100% think that that's instruction. I really, really think that he's being told like you say, to join in with the centre-halves or the central midfielder so that in possession we're in that sort of 2-3-5 or 3-2-5 shape. Um, And I think it also means that there's a bit more cover behind Pepe, you know, if he does lose it, trying to dribble past two blokes or three blokes, as he sometimes will, inevitably. Um, It means we're not as caught out. I I think that physically Bellerin does look a bit short to me and I don't mean his mm. height I mean I think he's not what he was athletically and I think there was a bit of concern about that even prior to his injury because he had the ankle problem um, and I think his sprint numbers weren't what they had been uh, in terms of you know just the sheer speeds he was able to reach after that point mm. and now he's got the ACL thing to contend with and I think that you know although medically he may be fit although physically he may be fit maybe there is still a degree to which he's closing that gap psychologically Mm. Um, but you know he was he can be run at the moment you know if you want to knock it past him and go as Richarlison looked to do a couple of times you can and that probably couldn't have been said at Bellerin at his very best a couple of years ago you know Bellerin at his best or Bellerin at his fastest? Both, yeah. Well, well maybe yeah, there's both. a distinction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That, that as a young uh, young player, maybe his pace, which was astonishing, I can't help but think about that. Um, was it against Swansea? Um, where he sort of chased and overtook a guy from like 40 yards behind him to clear yeah. him off the line like years ago. I mean, it was just like, what the fuck? 
Um, <clears throat> but maybe... I don't think he's... He's probably... Yeah, maybe he's not never going to be that quick again, to be honest. But maybe that's not, in itself, mm. a huge issue. Yeah, look, I think as you develop as a player... Um, you can you can offset some of that, you know. Uh, if you're just totally reliant on pace as a player, then I think you've got a, a problem because when the pace goes, you've got nothing. Um, and we've seen that with with players in the past who who decline very sharply when when that goes. You know, the the mitigation, of course, for Hector is the the the, the ACL injury, which is only mm. a, a year ago, just over a year ago, um, and it can take longer than a year for a player to recover properly from that injury um, and make their way back to to, to full fitness. Um, you know, he's had a, a, another injury problem thrown in as well. I think he had a bit of a hamstring problem, didn't he? And, uh, you know, there are various things yeah. which have not quite put a, a, a fork in his recovery, but, you know, they've delayed it and they've... Um, They've made it a, a little more difficult to to build up the rhythm and, and what have you that you need. So I I I understand some worries, but I feel like I said I feel really confident that Arteta can work with Bellerin and um, make him into the player. Maybe not quite the player we all thought he was going to be, but I th- I still think there's a really good player in there. Um, and I just feel like Arteta is the right guy on an individual level to 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 get more out of Bellerin, particularly within the systems that he puts in place and the way that he asks his fullbacks to, to play. Yeah, I mean, I would go further and say, I think Arteta can get something out of Bellerin, but it's, it's not going to be the player we may be envisaged, you know, mm. when we, he broke through as this overlapping electric paced, uh, fullback, I think, you know, maybe that's not what Arteta's going to look to do with Bellerin. Maybe he's going to look at his technical quality and say, this is someone who can help us as much on the inside as the outside. This is someone who can be, you know, one of those fullbacks, a bit like Man City have used, who tucks into midfield and helps us build the play from that position. I, I think that that might well be the case for Hector. And if that is, mm. um, so be it. You know, so be it. I don't think that's necessarily a problem. What what I do think is interesting is given, you know, I think we both are on the same page about Hector's um, physical problems, you know, especially as he's still coming back from this big, big injury, which I think you can't underestimate what kind of impact that has on somebody. Yeah. Um, what Arteta's choosing to do with his other options at right back, I think is interesting you know Ainsley Maitland-Niles seems to have fallen out of the picture entirely we've seen Socrates there on a couple of occasions mm. now Cedric's obviously been brought in too what do you make of sort of the bigger picture at right back um I guess it depends on what what happens with with Cedric uh will we sign him on a permanent basis you know given who his agent is I don't think that would be a big surprise, would it? Um, uh, if he was brought in on a permanent basis in the summer, because um, he would be free. Also, am I right? I mean, yeah, he would be a free transfer. Yeah. I mean, are you surprised by the degree to which Ainsley Maitland-Niles yeah. is just sort of not part of that conversation? Anymore? Yeah, because yeah. I, I remember sitting here when Arteta first took over, and he played the first two or three games, and we'd 
we'd had the discussion about Ainsley Maitland-Niles before, hadn't we? About what what sort of a a player he was going to be, and maybe right back wasn't his position. And then we saw him in that system under Arteta do well. You know, he has all the physical attributes that you need for a player in that position. Like you look at someone like Maitland-Niles versus someone like Socrates, and you know, the, not that they're chalk and cheese, but you can see how one would be much more uh, at home doing the hard running that you need to do as a fullback than the other. Um, mm, so I am surprised that that there hasn't been, or that, that he's fallen by the wayside quite as quickly as he has or, or quite as far as he has. You know, the fact that we brought in a right back uh, rather than just sort of say, okay, well, look, Hector's coming back. We've got Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Um, he can do a job there. If needs be, I can play Socrates there. Um, you know, let's wait until the summer and assess our options at right back and get mm-hmm. in a player either to compete for the first team place or, you know, provide solid backup or whatever. But he's pretty quickly gone into the market for for a right back. Um, so whether something has happened, whether it's just a case that he he doesn't rate Maitland-Niles, I, I, I really don't know, but it, it, it's a, it's a, it is a surprise to me that it's gone this far as, as quickly as it has. Yeah, it feels to me like he maybe just doesn't rate him. I, mean, I do remember, even when we were saying Maitland-Niles was doing well at right back, there were a few kind of classic Maitland-Niles sort of lapses in concentration where he would kind of pass the ball loosely inside and it would be intercepted. And I do remember seeing Arteta pretty annoyed on the sidelines about that. And I do wonder how much that weighs into his consideration. I don't know as well if if Maitland-Niles' own attitude to playing in the position is a factor. I mean, I, I, I flagged this on Twitter and I might be reading something into nothing. I fully accept that. But there were some quotes about Arteta talking about Saka the other day. And he said, it's from Arsenal.com. And it says, Arteta says that Saka's attitude has been spot on. He's learning that you are able to adapt and that you are able to sacrifice for the team and you don't use excuses. If you are moved to say, mm. OK, now if I do not play good, I have the right excuse because this is not my position. It's the complete opposite. Try to learn, try to pick things up straight away and try to be more productive for the team. And I think Saka has done it really, really well. Mm. And I can't help but in my mind hold... I know Arteta wasn't here at the time, but what Maitland-Niles said publicly when he sort of came out and said, I'm not a right back, in contrast to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And it might be something of nothing, but, you know, it, it, whatever the case, it doesn't look good for Ainsley Maitland. I think he was out of the matchday squad entirely again, was he, yesterday? Yeah, but then, you know, we're, we're at a point, aren't we, where we've got this squad now. So was Martinelli. So yeah. was Martinelli. So was Rob Holding. So was, um, who else? Somebody well, else. Pablo Marie, I guess, Pablo Marie. Um, yeah, you know, so there are a few players who just did not make the squad and i think that's going to be an inevitability because of how big the squad is right now and how healthy it is um you know i'm sure some players will fall by the wayside when it comes to injuries and what have you but um yeah mm. we'll see I, I i think come the summer arsenal look to my mind they should be going out and getting another right back i don't think cedric uh, is quite what we need there i don't think he's of the requisite level if you look at left back 
whatever happens with Kalasinac, you're going to have Kieran Tierney there. Potentially, you've got Bukayo Saka there. I mean, that already is a real mix of quality and competition. There's no one who can challenge Bellerin's place or who you can rotate in for Bellerin and not have a drop in quality mm. if, if you lose Maitland-Niles. So I think it's something they're going to need to look at for sure. And if, you know, you want you want to... I mean, I think back to, um, I don't know, that, that, that very successful Pochettino Spurs team. It was based on the idea that they had four fullbacks, basically, that were interchangeable. You know, and I think at City, you've seen similar things at left-back where they've had, you know, Mendy, Delph, Sinchenko. They've had options there. Um, and I think... We need we need mm. that fullback too because it's such a demanding position under Arteta. Yeah, well, look, we'll see what they do uh, come the summer with Cedric and whether he becomes a, a permanent fixture or not. Um, mm. But I'm hoping you know between now and, and May that we'll we'll see more from Hector as well. So yeah, let's see. Um, so we had uh, a lot of questions about Mustafi DJ Clarity. On Twitter. DJ Clarity in the house. DJ Clarity! Um, Morning, guys. My question is, will Mustafi be here next season and involved in our matchday squads? For the record, I think he will, says DJ Clarity. Mm. Um, Not afraid to put his neck on the line. No. This DJ. This DJ, along with playing the the hottest hits. Yeah, of course he said, for the record. Of course. (laughs) Uh, um, they don't use records anymore. It's all it's all digital and stuff. Yeah, it's all MP3s. Um, they're much lighter to carry around. Let me tell you, having spent <laughs> years <laughs> carting boxes of twelve inches around uh, Dublin, yeah, that must have been a real pain. Actually. It fucking oh. was, and there were no taxis back in those days either. So it was always tough to get home from gigs. But that's that's a different complaint. I wrote sure. about this at the weekend. Um, I would. L- I would love if Mustafi played well between now and the end of the season because Arteta clearly likes him and he's picking him every week. And I think, you know, that's a clear indication that he he has some trust and faith in a player. You know, if he's going to pick a young guy like Inketia because he has trust and faith in him, similar uh, thing applies, doesn't it, to, to Mustafi? I mean, it must be the same rationale, more or less. And, you know, he's been perhaps, along with Shaka, the biggest beneficiary of the uh, the clean slate that Arteta came into the club with. Absolutely. Um, Not that Emery didn't like him. You know, if you if we think back, you know, Emery, I feel like Emery only sort of stopped picking once the tide of public opinion had swung so drastically against it. He did continue to pick mm, him for long periods last season, didn't he? He did. And, you know, I think this sort of redemption of, of Mustafi is... Um, is great for him, but it could be great for Arsenal in the sense that we had a a very... um, What's the word I'm going to use here? We had an asset that was diminishing in value week by week to the point where Mm -hmm. it was almost inconceivable that somebody might pay money for Shkodran Mustafi in the transfer market. You know, we, we wanted to get rid of him in the summer, and clearly the, the the offers weren't there either for the club to sell or for Mustafi to go with himself, you know? Um, mm. I think if the, come the summer he's on the market again, there'll be some clubs willing to take a chance on him because of the way that he's played. You know, I I, I can't... I can't shake the feeling that something is going to happen. 
you know? Um, of course, I can't either. I think that's natural to feel like that, yeah, as well as he is playing. Yeah, exactly. You can acknowledge the fact that he's playing well for the last few weeks, but also remember the stuff that he's done in the last three years, three and a half years, right? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. sort of paint over that. And there were reasons why people were frustrated with him. There's a reason why the club wanted to sell him. You know, many reasons, in fact, that, that we saw on the pitch. So, like, good for him and, and credit to him for being professional and for keeping his head down and working hard and taking his chance and not kicking up and not making a fuss. And, I, you know, I, I really liked the interview that he did earlier in the season. I thought it was a very open, honest interview. But at the same time, I, you know, I, I, I would sell him in the summer. Mm. I would. I think. I think we need to move away from some of the um, the players who have been part of a past which isn't one that we all want to remember. Um, so, if what Mustafi is doing now helps you forget about all the stuff Mustafi did in the past, well, good for you. I'm glad. I can't get there yet, um, and I think that when it comes to this, the center of our defense, which I think. Even a few weeks ago, people would have said needs a serious rebuild. And even now, I think you might say it needs a serious rebuild. Where does the money come from for that? How much do you get for David Luiz in the transfer market? Well, nothing. This this summer, David Luiz, uh, Socrates and Mustafi will all be in a position where they are 12 months away from the mm. expiration of their contract. Right. So if... You know, on the basis of what we're seeing right now, and let's say Mustafi plays well between now and the end of the season, who gets you the most money in the transfer market? I would say Mustafi, based on his age, principally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's only 27, 28. Um, Yeah. So, you know, give him the kudos of playing well, and hopefully he can help us achieve something. But then let's be ruthless and let's do what we need to do and rebuild the centre of our defence properly. And if he can bring us some money in to do that, then great. Yeah, I think that it is still quite likely he will move on because just think about what we spent on him. I think losing him for free would be so (laughs) galling. Um, Whereas I think, you know, Socrates is 31. By the way, realising that I'm older than Socrates has been one of the bleaker moments of my life (laughs) thus far. (laughs) I was just looking him up and I was like, oh, wow, Socrates is two years younger than me, almost exactly. Christ. Um, But yeah, uh, yeah, so uh, I think think you're right. I think, because obviously Saliba's going to come in. Yeah. There's still Mari to consider in all this. Um, people are going to leave. And I think selling the one who might make you some money back is what makes sense. Mm. For me, um, anyway. I mean, I know not everybody will share that opinion, but there you yeah, go. That's, that's just what I would do, um, you know, based on based on everything that I've seen from Shkadran Mustafi since he joined the club from Valencia and not just the last couple of weeks. I did like this uh, comment on Facebook, though, from Marcus Riley, who said, I was thinking Arteta might be working them too hard and being a bit unfair on the players. He's only been the manager for a month or so, and already Mustafi has gone from a lush head of strawberry ginger hair to a grey-haired old man. Slow down, Arteta, you're killing them. (laughs) I did, yeah, I had this question from... uh, at Ram Arsenal 21, who said, Gents, would you rather have Mustafi's hair colour or Sabias's top knot? Any preference? Uh, the the top knot, because it would mean I have a bit more hair. Um, yeah, and you could I, always, all day. You could always let that, um, you could always let that uh, hair down. 
You know? I'm a bit bemused by what Mustafi's gone for, the sort of silver look. Uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? it yeah. It, 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 I'm not going to say it, it looks like. Me. Do you remember when your mate, like, at school would go and dye his hair and it would go wrong? Do you know what I mean? It would come out like mm. the wrong. He'd go for blonde and it would come out ginger, essentially. Yeah. It feels a bit like that to me. Yeah. I, you know, there was. I'm, I don't really give a single fuck what anyone does with their hair. But I no, just. No. I, I just. Um, before this game was thinking, okay, he's had a few good games. And now he's gone and dyed his hair to make himself the most noticeable <laughs> player on the pitch. I had the same thought. Is this... I was like, he's going to boot it into his own net from 40 yards now. Yeah. It's the curse. He's, he's got his confidence back. And he's thought, right, come on, this is the new me. And I was like, oh, no. But listen, he he was good. I mean, the, the, I go through the stats, I'm sure you do, at the end of every game. Yeah. You know, sort of see who was the player who had the most passes. The most... Every week at the moment, most clearances, most headers won. It's Mustafi, isn't it? Mm. It is, um, you know. It was the case yesterday. You know, he 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 he's played well. I'm, you know, again, I can't take that away from him. So, uh, and I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to look at it. We're from, trying to find a way. We're, tr- we're, <laughs> we're no. no, I'm just I mean, trying, trying to trying to look at it from a uh, an overall point of view rather than just yeah. You know, the short and the thing term. is, Mustafi prior to Arteta's arrival was in a funk unlike anything he'd been in his entire Arsenal career. He was at a point where even the stuff he used to do well, he was not doing well. Like his distribution was terrible. You know, his confidence yeah. was low. Now we've got something a bit like the Mustafi we had when we first signed him, which is someone who looks within games pretty solid and pretty yeah. effective. The question is, do they still have that capacity for self-destruction I would venture probably yes um, and that's what keeps me on the edge of my seat you on, know? on the edge uh, of your seat yeah in, yeah. in, in terror um, for the wrong reasons yeah, yeah for all the wrong reasons is it my uh, question or uh, I think I yes think it, it is. is yeah um, couple from Discord. Johnny B AFC says, if we manage to get Champions League football, do you think Aubameyang slash Lacazette uh, or both would stay? And Henry Powell asks, with Lacazette being out of favour and Aubameyang's good run of form, can you see the former being the more likely departure this summer? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Arteta's fully on the charm offensive with Aubameyang, isn't oh, he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's, he's laying it on thick. Um, factor 50 from Arteta. I mean, he, he is, he is uh, you know, in his press conference every week, he seems to be saying, oh, Bermiang's our, our most important player, he said yesterday, and, you know, we we want him to stay, etc., etc. I mean, he wouldn't be making those moves, I don't think, and singling out an individual in the way that he is unless he thought it was in question. Do you, you know? I mean, do you think there's a, a case to be made for a new contract for Aubameyang. It, you know, I know it's a hypothetical and it's a very difficult one as well because, you know, he's 31. Uh, there is interest in him from big clubs. We've mm. seen Barcelona sign uh, some guy who sounds like he's so, an extra on, on Coronation Street. Um, sure, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's quite funny. Former Middlesbrough striker. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Braithwaite. Martin Braithwaite. Martin Braithwaite, yeah. You know, in a weird... That's a ridiculous rule that they were allowed to make that signing. It's absolutely absurd what they were able to do. But come the summer, you know, they must look at Aubameyang and think, there's a guy playing in this team who could score us 30... He could be the next Martin Braithwaite, is what they'll be thinking. That's exactly what they'll be thinking, yeah. Um, 
you know, that would be a very attractive proposition for a player like uh, Aubameyang. You know, there's Real Madrid as well, a, play, a club that he's always wanted to play for. Um, so th- there are going to be uh, a lot of offers, I think, on the table for Aubameyang, given his contractual situation. You know, is there a case to be made for giving him a new contract, given how important he is and given the the popularity of the player, how many goals he scores for us, you know, his, his um, consistency, all of those things? Or do we have to be realistic and say, he is 31, we're not playing, assuming we're not making the Champions League, we're not playing Champions League football, we do have to rebuild. Our only option is to take the money that we get from another club and reinvest that in uh, another striker. I mean, where do you stand on that? Like, would you would you back a, a push to keep him and, and to pay a, a player of 31 years of age the kind of wages that he would like to, to have, you know, that he would be able to demand given the, the circumstances? It is a complicated one. It's a really difficult one, actually. And because uh, he is playing exceptionally well and he looks incredibly fit you know he, he yeah he's he's in remarkable condition and doing a great job I think with a really heavy heart because there's a big part sort of the fan part of me is like he scores goals I like him as a guy I just want him in the team but I think the people running the club you obviously hope that they are a bit more objective in their analysis than that and I just think if I look at sort of the last few years at Arsenal, the mistakes that we have made hanging on to Alexis Sanchez, giving Mesut Ozil a new contract, you know, letting Aaron Ramsey leave for nothing. I kind of think that at some point we have to be a bit colder and clinical in our decision-making. And I think that Aubameyang might fall into that category at this point mm. it makes me feel sad and concerned as I say it but I just think if the opportunity is there to make money on him now I think the obligation on us as a club is to take it and spend it well like it's it's our fault if we can't replace him do you know what I mean yeah yeah, look, it's it's one of those that that um, you could come at it from both angles and make a good yeah. case either way. It is a very What's difficult your- one. I don't know. I mean, I think my gut feeling is that that um, you know, if if we don't have Champions League football, there's absolutely no way we can a offer him the kind of money that he would want no. and deserves. You know, at, at at this stage of his career, and b turn down the kind of money that we might get for him in the transfer market that we could then reinvest back into the club. If we get into the Champions League, you know, via Europa League or something like that, then maybe, maybe you could push the boat out a bit and maybe he'd be more open to staying as well because he is playing in the, in the Champions League and, you know, could be part of what, you know, what we all hope is going to be a very exciting project at Arsenal under Mikel Arteta. But, you know... This is one of the issues of the summer that's coming up. You know, you already mentioned Socrates. 
with a year left on his contract. Is yeah. that right? And Mustafi yeah. with a year left on his contract. And Aubameyang with a year left on his contract. Ozil with a year left on his contract. Louise, I think. Louise, too. I mean, look, when you sign someone like Louise at the age that he is, I you don't know, know that you, you know. you're going to give him that the two years. It's not, it's not like he's a player that you have to make anything back on uh, because the yeah, outlay wasn't huge. But those are those are some serious issues for the for the club to to deal with and contend with. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it is a big summer, and and you almost feel like they can't make that decision on uh, on Aubameyang until they know about the Champions League. Do you know what I mean? Um, by the way, the other player whose contract expires next summer that we didn't mention is Bukayo Saka. So fingers crossed <laughs> that gets sorted very soon as well. <laughs> Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I liked this question on the Discord, and obviously we're just fans, so you know, hard for us to know. But let me find it. Hang on. Uh, ba, 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 ba. So um, yes, everyone was kung fu fighting on the Discord. Said, can you think of a fitter player to ever play for Arsenal than a Bamiang? That's a really good question. Yeah. His like every time I see him do the the celebration, I get I get a little. Of course, because I just wait for the one where he lands and his knee goes. Um, but in terms of his availability, his mm. c- consistency, and and everything else, he's remarkable. He really yeah. is a fucking machine. I mean, he's I think our player of the season by some distance. Um. You know the 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 goals that he scores are are obviously so so important, but you know the fact that he's there and he can play in pretty much every game. That was something Arteta talked about, wasn't it, in the post match interview about you know convincing him he could play three times in a week. And um, I can't remember the exact quotes, but yeah, he said uh, you know, and and he spoke a lot about first I had to discover if he had the physical capacity to do the job. Um, then I had to see if he wanted and was willing to do it. And he's answered on both mm. those counts, basically. I mean, I'm trying to think. I, his, his ability to repeat sprints, to play as many minutes as he does, you know, he doesn't get rest, really. Um, no, he never comes off. Very rarely comes off, does he? No, no. Uh, I can't think of anybody. Nobody springs to mind immediately. Um you know, there were there have been players who've been very athletic or have covered a lot of ground. Some some some's quite surprising. I mean, Ray Parler, for example, always looked incredibly fit whenever he was on the field. You know, I always thought just like his engine was unbelievable. Um Jesus, but, I'm just I'm just looking at the I'm looking at the, the stats for Obama Yang here, right? Yeah. Um apart from when he came on against Standard Liège, um in, in both the Europa League games, did 90 minutes against Frankfurt in both games, 90 minutes against Olympiacos. In the Premier League, 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 90 minutes. The only Premier League game, uh, apart from Everton away, maybe he came off against Everton away, did he? I don't remember that, but um, was Crystal Palace when he was sent off. He does 90 minutes basically in every single Premier League game. Mm -hmm. And the only Mm -hmm. rest he's had is because of the um, the red card. Of course, because I was going to say the FA Cup, but he was actually suspended for that game. And the against game, Bournemouth. Yeah, the yeah. only game that he... The only other game that he didn't play 90 minutes in, the only Premier League game he didn't play 90 minutes in, was the nil-nil draw against Everton, and he was replaced with about 12 minutes to go by Lacazette. 
Gosh, yeah, Freddie's last game, yeah. Mm. Wow, I mean, that is just unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, I said yesterday, I think Leno's in with a shout for player of the season. I think he's been brilliant as well. But, I mean, yeah, Aubameyang is just an extraordinary athlete. And look, if I say I think the club should kind of sever the ties this summer, it's, it's not with any relish that I say that. I oh, think no. he's been it, exceptional. It's, it's a real Hobson's choice, you know? Yeah, yeah. It really is. It's unpleasant. Um, but yeah, credit to him. I mean, he's doing a terrific job. Mm. Um, well, look, let's have a look f- ahead to Thursday. Will he get a rest then? DJ Stanners says, given the players look Another tired Another DJ? And it's What's going what? on <laughs> Everyone's taking it up now. It's so easy now. It's digital. You don't have to carry the record. Just need a fucking um, laptop. Yeah. <laughs> what sort of team would you field against Olympiacos? Would you go a strong team and then rest the first team against Portsmouth? Don't know if rest is the right word, but I'd certainly be playing a, a strong team against Olympiacos. It's only 1-0. Um, I think we'll see... Let me I think see. we'll see Lacazette, won't we? I think we'll see Lacazette. I think we'll see Pepe. I think we'll see Aubameyang. I wouldn't be surprised to see Ozil. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a team not massively different from the one we saw yesterday. Mm. And then for Portsmouth a bit more rotation like we saw in the FA Cup game when he put some faith in the kids, you know, in Kedia starting, uh, Joe Willock starting, you know, that th- there is room. We've we've talked about how players aren't being picked even in the squad because, you know, we've got so many options to choose from. So I think if you're if you're looking at the two games in terms of priorities, which one is the most important for us to win, uh, you know, in the chase for what might be the most significant prize uh, and reward this season, then it's Olympiacos. So you go strong for Olympiacos and you give some players a chance in the FA Cup game against Portsmouth. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's about right. I mean, I'm interested in what happens in the middle of the park you know I think that's where Arteta has kind of the most flexibility about his choices James Bayliss on Twitter asked, sort of asked about that he said Shaka's role in the team is clear and Sabayos offers a link from defence to attack that Arteta is starting to use more frequently now this does leave me nervous for Torreira's place in the team which for me should be a certainty is he falling out of favour again um, all right. Look, it's hard to say, isn't it? It's, you know, mm. one week a player looks like he's on the outs and the next week he's back in and Sabayas yeah. is the perfect example. Fast. He's the perfect example of that where nobody expected him to start against Newcastle. He came in, played well, and maybe was helped a little bit by A, the Gunduzi thing, which was, yeah. uh, you know, the, the disciplinary thing that he was out of the team with. So that was a, a help to him. But then uh, Torreira gets sick and he can't play and maybe he's not 100% for yesterday's game. So he's rewarded for his good performance with another um, another selection and he played well again. So, you know, why wouldn't he be picked? I think if you're looking to create a meritocracy or if you're looking to pick a team based on who's playing well, then... You know, that's something that that, um, the players have to contend with. Uh, Torreira, you know, could start on Thursday for sure. Um, And he looked in the first few weeks like one of the players who was benefiting a lot from from Arteta, didn't he? And now, like, he hasn't been selected for a couple of games and everyone's questioning, you know, what what his long-term future is. So I think Mm. we just need to sort of let these things happen and you know make an assessment towards the end of the season when we can see how often somebody's played and what the shape of the team is and and how well it performs with those various combinations yeah fully agree i mean it, it is i think the Torreira one is fascinating because 
He's one of those players, a bit like Maitland-Niles, who seemed to start pretty well under Arteta and yet has slightly edged out of favour. It's not quite to the same degree. I mean, he's still using him within games. He's bringing him on quite a lot to help close out matches. Um, but it just seems like he's sort of favouring the slightly more progressive passing style here and there. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think I don't think Torreira will play on Thursday, but I think he will get game time, plenty of game time between mm. now and the end of the season. Okay. Interesting. Um, we have one here. I think we should probably make this the last one because um, on, we Dave. had a bit of a delay in uh, getting going with our recording technical dif- difficulties at my end. So um, uh, it comes from Peter Ling- Linglund. Peter Linglund. And he says, during his celebration, who was Eddie calling? <laughs> Well, I, my initial thought was probably Saka's agent to tell him, I've got some good news, mate. <laughs> you can put the price up again. Um, yeah, I don't know. Was, <laughs> he, he started doing it, I think, on pre-season. I saw him say in an interview, this telephone celebration uh, might have been a couple of years ago. And it's just stuck. It's just he's, he does it all the time, the telephone mm. thing. But um, yeah, Saka's agent was my guess. What about you? Um, Carly Ray Jepsen. Sure. This is how he's trying to make contact. He's like, hey, sure. this is crazy. Just met. I met yeah, Eddie yeah. so call me maybe. That That's would be fun. great. Yeah. Imagine if every time he scored, they played that song. That would be horrible. It'd be actually. a lot Please better than that. fucking Sweet Caroline all the same, though. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> I think Sweet Caroline is slowly working its way into my heart. You know, it's like, you know, it's like if you, it's like sort of forced... Uh, it's forced upon me. Now I sort of have a sort of Pavlovian response to it. If it comes on, I'm like, oh, Arsenal. It's, they've done it. It's worked on me. Oh, my God. Well, you know, know. They, they... This is what they want, isn't it? This is it. You know what it is? It's the Neil Diamond lobby. The I was going to say, like, what's Di- Neil Diamond's connection here? Like, what's... Do you know what I mean? Like, other Cronkies is big into Neil Diamond and they just thought, we'll just push it on everyone. He'll make a bit of money on iTunes. Lovely. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. Where's he from? Neil Diamond. Let's from find Brooklyn out. in New York. And one of his mm. most famous songs is a song called Brooklyn Roads. 79 he is. Maybe, um, maybe it is the Cronkies, you know. Let's get him over for a life. They're coming to America. (laughs) They're coming to America. That's it. It's the American thing. You're right. You're right. Well, yes. Uh, Maybe he was calling uh, someone who works at Arsenal to say, please stop playing Sweet Caroline. Yeah. Please, for the love of God. Um, all right. Well, look, uh, let's hope we see more of that celebration from Eddie and Kedia. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Carly Ray Jepsen will get in touch. They will be the uh, posh and becks of this generation. Pop star footballer romance always ends well, as we know. Um, <laughs> we have what got, go yeah, what could go wrong? We've got a big game on Thursday. Um, so what time is that game? I don't know, probably 2pm or something mental like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's like quite normal. Let's have a look. Olympiacos, it's an eight o'clock game again. Quite normal. Can can you do this Friday? I think I can. All right, okay. Unless something dramatic happens, I can. I'll probably be hospitalised by them or something, so we'll see. Yeah. I'm afraid. I'm afraid he's got a real case of Neil Diamond. (laughs) 
God. It could happen. Could happen. Uh, So in theory, yes, we'll be back on Friday. All right, let's do that and let's hope for a big win on Thursday. Uh, Thank you as ever for listening. We always really, really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the show and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.